We are still in the middle of our anthem series, and we have an awesome song. We're going to be doing Old Town Road this week. It's been on the Hot 100s, not once, but twice in two different forms. And so we're super excited to be playing this song with you here today. So why don't you sit back, relax, enjoy, have some fun, and get ready to hear an amazing song. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. Gonna ride till I can. Yeah, I got the horses in the back. Horse sack is attached. Pat is mad and black. Got the boots in black to match. Riding on a horse, huh? You can't whip your Porsche, yeah. Been in the valley and been up off that porch now. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Riding on a tractor, lean all in my bladder, cheated on my baby. You can go and ask her. My life is a movie, bull riding and groupies. Cowboy hat from Gucci. Bring around my booty. Can't nobody tell me nothing. What? You can't tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse the old town road. Gonna ride till I can't no down, living like a rock star, spend a lot of money on my brand new guitar. Baby's got a habit, diamond rings and Fendi sports bra. Riding down Rodeo in my Maserati sports car. Got no stress, I've been through all that. I'm like a marble man, so I can't go back. Wish I could go on back to that old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town Good morning, Restoration Church. So glad that you're here. I tell you what, this, this morning, uh, both services, first service, second service, you guys are wound up. You're wound up. That's good. We snuck Red Bull into the coffee. So it's uh, amazing. You know, I love the enthusiasm. I love that you love your church. First service, um, during the handshake, someone came up to me and hugged me. I was like, I love this church. And uh, it's a pretty good impersonation, actually. And, uh, and so, man, I love this church, too. Um, yeah, I just want to make sure that we take time and we just recognize what God's doing. We're having service here today. We also, we've got, um, we've got London area location, we've got Plymouth location, and I, one thing I love about Pastor Chris in Plymouth and what's happening there is we have this group message, and every week, it's, it, it, it's almost every single week he's messaging us and just saying, hey, um, this person gave their life to Christ this week, this person um, uh, is, uh, 
you know, took this step. This person came to church for the first time in their life today. And it's just unbelievable how that, uh, everything that's been happening uh, here in Dover, in, in this location, we've had to put out more seats here during the week this week because we've been at about capacity for both our services for adults the last, the, for the last few weeks. So we had to add, add in some more seats. And uh, it's just, you know, all these things that are happening. And then we think about the fact that today we had a group of people meet for the first time in Presque Isle, Maine, which is five and a half hours from here, dreaming about what it would be like to have a restoration church start in their community. So they've just begun um, uh, inviting people. They were meeting uh, on, uh, at the University of Maine in Presque Isle. They've got a room there that they're meeting in. And just starting that process of saying, what could God do here? How could God use us in this community to reach people who've walked away from Jesus, who've walked away from the church, and even beyond that, to reach people who've never heard about Jesus before. We are in the series Anthems. We're taking a song that's popular in culture, that's on the Billboard Hot 100, or at least it was when we planned out the series. And then we are, um, we are taking a song in the Bible, and we're, and we're talking about those two things. If you got your Bibles, open up to the book of Psalm, chapter 109. This is a song that is in the Bible. If you're turning your table of contents, trying to find the book of Psalm, it starts with the letter P, all right? So I'm going to throw you off with that silent P. But find that, turn to 109, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Now, today, today we're not re really talking about the song, but we're talking about the story behind the song and things that were going on that revolved around this song, all right? So we don't really, you know... It's sad what's happened to this guy and all the things that have gone on in, in, his, in, in this song. But um, we we're really want to talk about the other things that were going on in his life. So the artist who wrote the song, I can't remember his real name, but his, uh, but his artist's name is Lil Nas X. And he had this dream of becoming a rapper and becoming a music artist. And, uh, but his, his dad really didn't want him to pursue that dream. He graduated high school, and he enrolled in college, and his dad's advice to him was, there's thousands of rappers go to college. And that was just the, you know, the rule that the dad set and the plan that he needed to follow for his life. But he couldn't get over this dream that he had. So I don't know if he finished, um, if he finished a year, finished a semester, but we, what we do know is he dropped out of high school. And he didn't go back home because his parents weren't going to uh, like that. And so in order to avoid his parents, he moved to his sister's house and began sleeping on her couch and, beginning, and was trying to pursue his dream of, of, you know, of, of, of making music that people knew and that people listened to. So part of the story behind the song is pretty neat. He had, uh, he had no record deal. He had he really had nothing. What he did is he bought a beat for $30 off of, uh, you know, off, of, off of the internet, turned that beat, wrote a song to it, which was Old Town Road, and then uploaded that song onto SoundCloud. And then what he began to do was make memes of his own music to try to help people to recognize it and be aware of it. So this is how the song kind of first came, for many of us, first came kind of into our spatial awareness. Uh, he ended up releasing, or the song kind of became most famous through an app called TikTok 
which was short videos. People are making themselves of the song with the with his song in the background where they were kind of nerds or preps, and then once the song would drop, they would instantaneously turn into cowboys and cowgirls. And so this got famous, and this went viral, and this began to really happen all the time. And if you make, an a, make a video of this of yourself on TikTok, uh, let me know because we'd like to show it at church next week. Could you please <laughs> admit that it was you? So this, this is what happened, and... Uh, and so when it, it kind of took off, it went viral. So people begin to investigate, like, hey, is this a real song? Ended up finding the full song on SoundCloud, and it, went, it, and it really took off. And it ended up uh, at its highest point as the 19th song on the country music Hot 100. And so it, this was, you know, really out of, from a sister's couch with a $30 $30 investment, now he had made the country music um, uh, hot, hot, uh, billboard hottest song. Now, this next part of the story is likely where it came into your awareness because there was some controversy that began to happen that surrounded the song. So the song's on the, uh, at number 19 on the country music billboard charts, and all of a sudden, like without any notice and kind of silently it was just removed from the charts with no explanation and what it began to look like was uh, that this was um, this was really racially motivated and then and it was out for any reason and the reason they ended up giving later was that it didn't have enough elements of country music in the song which you just think about Wrangler jeans girlfriend breaking up with you breaking up with your girlfriend Horses. I mean, what what constitutes a country song nowadays? Um, you, you know, um, I don't know. It's like should it be about solar farming? Like, what is country music now? <laughs> so, um, and so it was removed from the charts. And what was Little Nas X gonna do with this? How he's gonna respond to this? Here he's pursued his dream. He's strategically worked to get his song viral, to get it noticed, it, it, with, without any record deal, without any agent, it ends up and lands on the country music charts, and then it seems like the powers that be have taken and just decided, we don't want this here, remove him from the list. And what could have been the greatest setback in his life, as we'll, we'll talk about later in the message, um, really set him up for being, becoming even more famous than he, than, he, than he could have dreamed or that he could have anticipated. Now, where, you know, what thing I want us to look at for ourselves is, is there a dream that's in your heart and it's in your life? He dreamed of being a rapper, and I know um, that's not a, a dream that is true for most of you. It's true for me, but not true for, for the rest of you. <laughs> It's kind of a rare thing for people in their 30s or older to dream of being rappers, but, um, you know, you never know. One day, you'll see me on Entertainment Tonight and be like, that's my pastor. What in the world? Why is he dressed like that? And, and, but we've got these dreams in our heart, and here's one thing that I believe is true, and it's true for you, that when you made the decision to follow Jesus, that there was a dream that he unearthed 
that when you were created, he stuck that dream in you. But when you made the decision to follow him, that now that dream is something that you've never considered before. Because it was not something that he was going to show you until after you started to follow him. We could call this a calling sometimes. Uh, it could be our purpose sometimes. But there's something in your heart that God put there that you desire to do one day. Or you desire to be a part of one day. And he, uh, and he put that there. It's his purpose and his plan for you on this earth to accomplish those things. And to experience those things. And to see him move in your life in those areas. Now, when you have that dream that you're pursuing and you're considering and you're going after, there are going to be times when you experience setbacks in those dreams. It seems like you're moving forward it, but then something stops it and keeps it from moving forward. It can seem like you're pursuing and going after those dreams, but then there's opposition to those dreams. People come up against it. People try to stop it. And it seems like you'll never be able to achieve it. It could never happen. How are you going to respond when that happens? Are you willing to fight for the dream that's in your heart? Are you willing to fight for the dream that God has, has called you to go after? Or when that opposition happens, when that setback happens, are you going to give up or, or, or forget about it? What are you going to do? There's a setback to your dream, opposition to your dream, just seems like it's impossible for your dream, what's going to happen? Now, I think these are the things that are probably most common to us when this happens. And when people come up against their dream, when uh, setbacks happen against their dream, the things that we begin to contemplate, one is revenge. We, you know, they've, they've ruined me, how can I ruin them? They've attacked me, how can I attack them back? They've humiliated me. How can I humiliate them? And this, th this is one that is common and we, and we wrestle with it. We try to figure out what to do. We can take a posture of bitterness and we, we say, I'm never going to forgive them. I'm never going to forget what they did. And we can only remember what could have been and, what, and how they didn't allow it to happen. And we never move past it. And maybe you were next in line for the promotion and it was your dream and it was what you wanted, but someone brought false accusations against you and made you lose the position, maybe even made you lose the job. You won't forgive them for that. It's bitterness. Just in there, polluting our heart, really polluting our future. We can retreat. We go to do something. We're like, yeah, we're going to do something for God. And we step into it and then... It seems like God maybe wasn't there. We're like, oh, man, that was embarrassing. And then we just retreat, and we're like, I'm never going to try anything like that ever again. I'm going to live safe within the, the confine and security of my yard, and I'm not going to try to do anything like that again. That was too risky. It cost me too much. I'm never going to do it. And then we can just simply live with the excuse. We have all the reasons why it could never happen. We don't ever try to go after making it happen. What happens? How, what, you know, what are you going to do? You can choose to live that way, but we just begin to see as we look in Psalm 109 that God's calling us to, to do something different. And what we can see from David's life is we can respond even differently than that. One of the guys in the Bible that we'll just reference here real quickly, his name was Joseph. And his story was famous, but he was someone who had a dream 
and he didn't completely understand it, but he just had this dream. God showed me this, that this was going to be, uh, uh, in some way, this was going to be my position in the future. And it wasn't, he received great opposition from his brothers about that. They ended up um, selling him as a slave to get him out, rid of the family. They lied to his dad, told him he died. He was attacked by an animal. And he, he had this dream, experienced a setback of slavery. Then once he kind of worked himself up as head servant, he got false accusation and was put in jail. And within, even within jail, we see he never gave up living according to what God had for him. And, and he never gave up believing that the plan that God had for his life and the purpose he had for his life would one day happen. And later in his life, what seemed decades, decades later, what seemed like it was impossible, it never could happen, the dream and the position that God put in his heart was fulfilled and did happen. And this is what I'm just encouraging you guys for as we go through this. There's a dream in your heart that I want you to unbury, to uncover to consider again and say, God, is there, is there something you want me to do with this? And then begin to even get the courage to say, God, I'm going to do something with this. So if you got Psalm 109, um, this song was written by David, and we believe at the time that he wrote this song, he was a king, but he'd already experienced big and dramatic setbacks and opposition to the dreams that God placed in his heart. We, you know, when David was young, he worked for his dad for his, you know, on the family uh, solar farm, and he was herding the sheep. And um, while he was there, he was writing songs that were in the Bible, but he was really a nobody. But while he was out there, he was just a musician and loved God. The Bible said that he was a man after God's own heart and just was, just was pursuing, God, here's my job, here's my future. I'm fine with this. I'm the youngest brother. I'm fine with this, but I, lo you know, I love you, God, and I just want you to know that. The time came for a guy named Samuel, Samuel to anoint a new king, and God had spoken to him, you know, go to the house of Jesse. He goes there, says, Jesse, bring out your sons. One of them, God told me one of them is going to be king. He goes through youngest, uh, oldest to youngest and was like, do you have any more kids? Because this doesn't make any sense. And he's like, well, I've got the youngest who's, uh, you, you know, he's out in the fields. And he said, send him. And from that moment, when he came back, Samuel anointed him and said, you're going to be king one day. And now God had placed a dream in David's heart. And he, you know, he was met by opposition. The current king, Saul, became, uh, became uh, insecure, tried to kill him. It, David fled for him for a number of years. And it wasn't for 10 or 15 years later that David was eventually became king himself, but he never tried to overthrow Saul. He always, in every circumstance, tried to follow God and do things according to the way of God. But there was, you know, even at the end of his life, he, you know, he had this dream, he's living this position, but his son Absalom tried to overthrow him um, and, uh, and, and take possession of the, of the nation, take possession of the throne. And was pretty successful at first. David had to flee from his life, flee for his life, um, and, and flee with those loyal to him. And it looked like his son had won and took over, but even then David didn't give up on it and was, you know, communicated to his son, like, you know, this isn't yours. This is not yours to take. This has been promised to your brother. And, uh, but did eventually, be, was able to 
get back the leadership of the nation and was able to hand the kingdom off to his son Solomon. Big setback. In Psalm 109, the part we're about to read, David is writing about one of those setbacks. He's writing a lot about betrayal and the wrongdoing of other people in his life that have really brought him much harm uh, and has really been painful for him. When he writes this song, we, if we've experienced betrayal in any form of our life, we can understand the emotions that he's feeling in this. And that could be a betrayal by, by a spouse, by an ex, by a neighbor, by a manager. In all kinds of different ways, people can come against us and stop what, what God's promised us or stop the dream, try to stop anyway, the dream that's in our life, in our heart. So let's, on Psalm 109, we're going to read verse number one, and we're going to start here with the verse, and David is crying out to God. Now, there's 31 verses in, in the psalm, so we're not going to go through every single verse, um, uh, or 31 lines of the songs. So we won't go through every single line, but we'll start with this one. So verse number one, David writes, O God, whom I praise, don't stand silent and aloof while the wicked slander me and tell lies about me. They surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. They repay evil for good and hatred for my love. David's communicating to God. Hey, God, do you see kind of what's going on here? I'm living the way you've called me to live. I'm treating people the way you've called me to treat them, but yet they're slandering me, they're attacking me, they're trying to destroy me. And as we look through this song and we try to figure out how did David respond to these people coming up against him, how are we going to respond to people uh, coming up against what God's called us to do? The first thing we see here is in verse number four, which we just read. It says, I love them. I love them. He even says he prays for them. And, but they didn't respond to that. How do we respond? How are we going to respond if someone comes against the dream God put in our heart? Someone tries to stop the dream that we're pursuing. First thing that we see is that we need to act with love. This is not, this is not really an easy thing to do, but let's talk about the things that he was doing to them. They weren't just name-calling him like, oh, David's a ninny, you know, David used to be a shepherd. No, they were, they, were, they were conspiring terrible things, and they were praying terrible things to happen to him. So they talked about, um, you know, we need to make a false trial against him. They had connections within the government. They can make an ac- a false accusation against him, press false charges against him, and, 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 and make it so that he would, he would be punished. Um, they were praying that his days would be short. They were asking and, and praying and conspiring that all of, that creditors would seize his entire estate, that he'd have nothing, and that so much would be taken, there would be nothing left for his wife and children, that they would enter poverty, and that they would suffer. And so this is running deep. Not only do I want you to be in pain, but for your children, I want them to suffer as well. And then they even tried to act spiritual through this, and... Uh, and they begin to pray to God about David. And they ask God 
to bring judgment and damnation against David. It's funny how we can be people who love and follow Jesus, but there, there can be people who call themselves Christians as well, who don't act with love. They, they lie about you. They can lie about your church. They can lie about their motives. And it looks so spiritual that they do this, but even like this group that was doing this to David, though they talk a spiritual talk, if the fruit of our life and the actions of our life don't line up with the word of God and the image of Jesus, man, you, you just don't know him. You don't know him, and you can deceive people using spiritual language, but we should be people who are wiser than that, who are recognizing the fruit of their life and how they're really living and how they're really acting. So he's praying now. He's telling God, listen, I'm treating them with love. And so this is an example to us. And when people come against us and act wrong, we act with love. Is this easy for anybody in here? Are you good at this? Yeah, and maybe you, you're a little bit more humble than the first service. And so you're like, you know, you won't really admit it. But this is not something that's easy for me. When someone wrongs me, defiantly, openly, viciously, to then act in love with them. I, you know, I think revenge. I think, uh, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, you've done this to me. How can I do this to you? Something that had happened, um, I, I, something that happened and I was talking to Andrew about it. And I'm like, you know, man, a Pastor Andrew, I'm like, I just like to get revenge on this. He's like, dump Roundup over their yards in the middle of the night. Like, kill all their grass. <laughs> And I'm like, I wonder if they have the ring doorbell, you know, <laughs> and, and they're going to be, is this something that, that I'm going to get caught for? Now, I haven't done anything. I shouldn't be caught for doing anything. So just so you know that, but, you know, I, this is something that's hard for me. You're free to turn to your neighbor and just tell them I'm not as messed up as Pastor Nate. Go ahead and tell your, tell your, tell your, tell your neighbor. But we, uh, someone's like, I am, <laughs> you know, uh, join our circle. So. You know, the truth of this, I can't act in love on my own. I just can't do that. But the kind of the great thing about following Jesus is I don't have to do that. The Bible says that the, the Spirit of God indwells us. At that moment of, moment of salvation, we ask for forgiveness. We give our life to Him. The Spirit of God indwells us and gives us an ability to act a way we cannot act naturally. So this is hard to understand. And Paul, when he writes about it, uses the illustration to help us to get it. And he calls these things fruit. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That when you follow God, fruit comes out of your life. He causes things to grow in your life. That's a blessing to you and to other people. Uh, that's enjoyed by you and by other people that you could not produce on your own. So the, the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These things come out of you even when you're wronged because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So when I can't act with love, He calls these things out. He does these things through us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit comes out of our life. Goodness comes out of our life as he works in our heart. So the second thing we see is in verse number 20. 
he says that, um, and, and this is a kind of a bizarre prayer that David's praying. They just listed all the terrible things they wanted to happen to David. And so he responds to God, may those curses become the Lord's punishment. May the curses they put on me land on themselves. And we can see this is probably the origin of, of um, every, you know, I'm rubber, you're glue, everything you say bounces off me and sticks to you. He says in this scripture that may the curses they have be placed upon them and tied around them like a belt that they can't be free from it. So God, the prayers they play and the curses they try to place on me, you place it on them, God. Do to them as they have tried to do to me. Now, this is not really a way that we're taught to pray. Jesus teaches, bless your enemies, pray for your enemies, love your enemies. So the question we're going to ask and try to, as we try to wrestle with this, as we're people who follow Jesus, should we pray prayers of punishment for people? Maybe even kind of a broader question, can we pray prayers of punishment for people? Well, there are times where we can. It's not something that we do, not something that we should do naturally. We're not praying, I, I, you know, I, I don't think there's very, very many situations where we can be praying death on people. But he's saying, God, the, the, the things that they tried to do to me, let them reap what they've sown. Now, the one kind of guideline we can see from uh, this type of prayer is that you need to be innocent. You need to be innocent before them. And they, obviously, they're making false accusations. They're not going to tell you that you're innocent before them. But in their, in their hearts, they know that what they're trying to do is just a scheme and a lie. But also, you need to be innocent before God. And it's, we need to be very, very careful because a lot of times we think we're innocent, but we're not. And we think we're in the right, and later we find out when, that God's convicted us and we're in the wrong. You have to, you have to know your innocence of that. But then, should we pray these types of prayers? This is not something that is, you know, is going to be an active part of our life. But there are seasons and situations where there's no other option. We think about one example from history. When the Nazi regime was taking over Europe with intent to take over the world, they're killing millions of people. They're, you know, and the, the evil and the viciousness of what they're doing is is just beyond outrageous. It seems for those Christians who are living in that culture, there it is almost no other option. There was a, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is famous for, uh, he was a pastor who tried to help assist an assassination attempt against Hitler, who was then killed in a concentration camp. Should pastors act that way? Should What should Christians do if they find themselves in that culture, in that situation? There are times when the only option we have is to pray, God, not only give us justice in eternity, but bring justice to earth now. Bring justice to earth now. And so those are kind of difficult things to wrestle with. But even when we're praying for God to move on our behalf, we still are acting with love. We act with love, we pray with honesty, really letting God know what's going in our heart, really letting him know how we feel, not hiding those things from him. We can tend to be too 
um, to, we can sugarcoat with God. We can try to pretend with God that everything's okay when it's not. Listen, he knows how you're really doing. Communicate that with him. Allow him to help you deal with that and to work through that. So we pray, uh, we act with love, we pray with honesty, and then we see this in verse number 26 where he writes, Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me because of your unfailing love. Let them see that this is your doing, that you yourself have done it, Lord. So you're faced with, um, with an option to get revenge or to make it right. And we've got to, this is, this is the part where it's really kind of the most challenging. We have to leave it in God's hands. Say, God, the outcome is yours. I know what I'd like to happen. I know what I've prayed to happen. I'm going to act according to the way you've called me to act. But I'm going to leave it in your hands. And this is, this is the part where if you're truly going to leave it in God's hands, then you stop talking about it with other people. We can say, I'm trusting God with this, but we're trying to form a coalition. I want to make sure they hear my side of the story first. And we're getting people on our side. We're not just trying to get them on our side. We're trying to turn them against the opposition. That is not leaving it in God's hands. When you leave it in God's hands, you stop mentally strategizing what you will do to them if you get the opportunity. You stop strategizing how to get roundup on their lawn in the middle of the night, you, you know, in the best route to drive and where you walk through the woods and what brand you'll buy. You stop strategizing <laughs> those things. You, you, leave, you let it go. God, the outcome is yours. The outcome is yours. The justice is yours. I leave it to you. And then the, another way you leave it in God's hands is you forgive every time. You may forgive initially, I forgive them, God, I trust you. But then you, you know, then you got to see them at work again. Or then you, you know, you, you bump into them. Or then you're just reminded of the pain it caused you. And when it comes back up again, you forgive again. God, I forgive them. I'm leaving this in your hands. It's your will. It's your way according to your timing. And I had this dream and I thought it could have worked out. And they stopped it and they came against it. But I'm trusting you. I'm leaving it with you. And then the last thing that we see in verse number 30 is we commit, recommit ourselves to follow Jesus. Verse number 30 says, But I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone. For he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn, who condemn them. I choose to follow you, Jesus, not my own plan. I choose to follow your ways, Jesus, not my own ways. And where I thought it was going to work out and how I thought it would happen, it didn't happen. But God, I'm okay with that. I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to pursue this dream. And maybe it's going to work a different way than I thought. Maybe it's going to have a different outcome than I thought. Maybe it's going to happen in a different timeline than I thought. But I'm still going to follow you with this. I'm still going to follow you through this. And I'm never going to give up on these things that you've put in, our, in my heart and these things that you've called me to do. But, you know, one of, the, one of the dreams that was in my heart as a, as a young kid, you know, I, I've been a part of this church since I was five years old. And 
when I was 14 and 15, 14 and 15 years old, 14 is when I like experienced God for the first time, experienced Jesus for the first time, which just changed my life. It wasn't about church anymore, and I went from the kid pretending, you know, every Sunday morning that I was sick to just being the kid, can you bring me to church tonight? Could you bring me to church today? Trying to get my parents to bring me to every church event. And I remember that, um, you know, at that point I was just happy to know God, but I remember my pastors at that time, uh, Pastor Mac and, and Pastor Glenn, the lead pastor and the youth pastor when I was a teenager, coming to me one night after a Sunday night Bible study and saying, Nate, we think you're going to be one of the pastors here one day. I was just a kid. And, uh, and I was a, tr- and, and, you know, I was a troublemaker. Like there was nothing in me that they should have said that. But, but, and what happened is God opened a dream in my heart. And I began to think, what would it be like to be a pastor of Restoration Church one day? And then got the privilege of joining the staff in 2003. And you know, that's not the only dream of my heart. There's other dreams that we have. There's dreams we have as a church. There's dreams that Michelle and I have as a couple. There's dreams that I've got for my boys that we're going to follow. And there's been some opposition to things already. There's been people who've come up against us. There's been people who've tried to act spiritual and just have caused a lot of harm to the kingdom of God. What were you going to do when that happened? You know what I do? I, I think back and I'm like, God, I remember who I was at 14 years old the, the night I walked into that youth group. And I remember who I was that night when I walked out. After I experienced you the, for the first time, I can remember that day, the day I was just a kid who went to church to the day I was a kid who followed Jesus. I remember the two hours that transpired between those two moments. And God, when you called me when I was 15 years old, and I said, yeah, God, I'll do it. I'll be a pastor one day. I'm committed to that calling, God. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do the things you've called me to do. When Michelle and I got married and we had dreams for our family, and we, when we started having kids and we had dreams for our kids, some of those dreams for my kids, you know, they're not going to happen till I'm in my, I'm in my 60s. You know, it's, it's just these far-off dreams. And I say, I'm not giving up on that. I'm going to keep following that. I'm going to keep pursuing those dreams. What are you going to, you know, we recommit ourselves. Jesus, I'm not following you for the benefits. God, I'm not going after these dreams um, for my own purposes. God, no matter what happens, I'm following you. I'm not going to walk away from you. I'm not going to retreat from you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to play it safe with you. I'm going to keep going after the things you've called me to go after. I'm not giving up on that. And I want you make that decision in your life today. I don't know what's happened. I don't know why you gave up. I don't know, you know, I don't know how painful it's been. But you've got dreams, and God wants you to go after those. Jumping back to the story with, with um, the song and Little Nas X, when that happened, and his song was taken off the country, the country music charts, you know what you can't do? You, and I don't know if this guy's a believer or not, and if he's not, it's even more amazing how he responded. But here's a 20-year-old guy. And what seems like was a racially motivated uh, you know, like, uh, snub or removal off the country music list, 
you can't read, you can't go online, you can search and search and search. I haven't been able to find any negative response to that happening. He didn't go and say, oh, it's because of my color. He, he'd never, even after all of that, have a chip on his shoulder and say, you know, I'm going to prove them wrong. For him, it's been just about his desire to make music. Now, he did do some strategy through this. And so when this happened, he went on Twitter and said, hey, you know, hey, world, help me get Billy Ray Cyrus to be a part of this music. If you're not familiar with who he is, he was the guy who had the famous song, uh, Achy Breaky Heart, forever ago. And uh, like, you, you know, you're not going to call this country music. Let's show you some country music. And so Billy Ray Cyrus ended up jumping in. And what could have been a devastating moment for him, what could have been say, yeah, I'll never be able to make it. You know, they're never going to let me to do the style of music I want to do. You know, they're always going to hold me back. Instead, it caused him to say, wait a minute, this is my dream. I'm going to fight for my dream. He acted in love and uh, he went after it. And so he ended up from this, he, they recorded the song with Billy Ray Cyrus, and then it, that's just, it, like, it blew up from there unbelievably. And at the time where we were working out this series, Old Town Road was on the Hot 100 list twice. It was the original, the remix version and the original version, and it and it shattered records. It was, bit, it was on the Billboard Hot 100 in the number one spot for 19 weeks, um, which is a record. That, so that's more than Achy Breaky Heart ever had. Um, it's more than Despacito had uh, uh, last year. It is the most, it, it broke, it shattered all kinds of records. And what could have been like, oh, number 19, they won't let me, they, you know, they've held me back. He just said, man, I'm going after this. I didn't drop out of school and tick off my dad for nothing. I'm going after this. And so, you know, since the song, and this just, all this has happened just since March. So we're not even talking about a long timeline. In this last few months, all this has happened in this guy's life. And now the song Old Time Road, it has topped, the, it's been number one on the singles charts in these countries. Uh, Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom. And it reminds me of, of this scripture for you and for me and for our church. That there's this dream that God's put in your heart. But Ephesians chapter 3 says, God is infinitely able to do more than we could ever ask for or imagine. So in your head, when you begin to think of a dream, that dream that God put in you, that's only the part of the dream that he showed you. He's, he, his plans are far beyond that. His capabilities are far beyond that. So you have a dream to, you know, for a wife, but God, he's thinking of a godly marriage. That's more, I know for my marriage, my marriage is, I didn't know marriage could be like this, as good as it is. I had no concept of that in my life. Think about when God told me I would be a pastor of Restoration Church before. I didn't think you guys would like my jokes. I thought I was going to have to like limit them all. You know, I remember people quitting the church when I used to preach for my jokes. And here now, you know, I didn't imagine um, I didn't imagine in 1997 when God called me into ministry that uh, that it would be, I just, I had no idea. I was just like, oh, I'll preach in a suit and tie and 
uh, I'll be a pastor. And, and I had no idea what God would do, you know, how to be online church, how to be the location. He's just, he does more than we could ask for or imagine. What's the dream? What's the dream in your heart that you're beginning to think about again? Dreams to be a missionary, dreams to be in ministry, dreams for a family, dreams for a home, dreams in your career. What are those dreams? God put them there. Don't give up on them. His timeline's not our timeline. It, it, it may take years. We saw in Joseph's life, the guy at the beginning, all of it was a setup. The slavery, what could have been a setback, was strategic positioning. The jail, which could have been life-ending, was strategic positioning. He ended up in exactly the place God wanted him to be, with exactly the position God wanted him to have, at exactly the time God wanted him to have it. It was not a setback, it was just all preparation. The things in your life, they don't have to be setbacks at all. It's just part of your testimony of how God saw you through. If you close your eyes, I want to take a moment and pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for every person in here, for every dream that's been in our church today. We don't know what all those dreams are. God, dreams of, uh, of friends and family coming to know you, dreams of 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 giving that they want to do for kingdom builders, dreams of ministry, dreams of mission trips, dreams of, of, of family in a future. God, we have no idea what dreams you've placed in each and every one of us. Nonprofits that haven't been started yet, um, ministries that haven't been started yet. God, we have no idea what those dreams are. But Lord, we know that you've called us to do it. It's one of the reasons we're here to use our gifts for your glory, to use our blessings for the benefit of the nations, to, to use, you know, this dream in our heart to reach just one more. I just pray, Lord, we need to go after the things you've called us to go after because it's part of your plan for the world. And I just pray, God, it's not going it, it, to be anyone in here who's going to retreat, be fearful, make excuses, seek revenge, or just harbor bitterness and allow that to stop them from all the good things you have for them in the future. We're going to act with love. We're going to pray with honesty. We're going to leave it in your hands. We're going to recommit our, our lives to you. It's your plans and your purposes, God, not our own. It's your, according to your timelines, not our own, God. We just commit, God. No matter how long it takes, we're going to pursue it. No matter how many setbacks, we're not going to give up. We're going to do what you've called us to do. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name.